All right, good morning and welcome Peninsula Bible Church Cupertino. To begin our time of worship, let's set our minds and open our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. To help us do this, we have a call to worship from Psalms 149, verse 1 to 4, from the New Living Translation. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your king. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Now would you please pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to meet and worship you. For you are worthy of our praise. I pray that you will open up our minds and our hearts for what you have to tell us this morning. Lord, take our burdens and worries from the weak so that we can focus. Many of us have information and decision fatigue from the demands of COVID. Lord, give us energy and wisdom from above. Lord, we also confess that we are distracted and sinful human beings and oftentimes confident in our own abilities and achievements. But Lord, I pray that you will humble us and give us perspective that pursuing a life that gives glory to Christ is the only ultimate reality worth living for. We pray for our church and beyond, whether it be meeting in traditional small groups or unconventional fellowships, such as playing video games together. We invite you in and we pray that you will breathe life in our communities and steer us towards discipleship through relationships. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters of PBCC. So today is our last sermon in this session of our series on Colossians. And it's really been a joy and an honor to bring to you all the word of God each week and to hear all of your thoughts and questions and reflections. My inbox has uh, just been nice and warm from your guys' questions. Um, and I just really appreciate that. I hope these reflections continue long after this series of, is over. And, and I do hope you continue sharing them with me. Well, for our last sermon together in this session of our series, we have some different things that we want to do in and in response to the word. So let's just go ahead and dive right back into Colossians chapter one. Last week, we looked at verses 15 through 17, and we discovered a poem hiding in plain sight. The Apostle Paul used this poem to remind the Colossian believers of three truths about Christ. First, Christ is divine. He is the God of all creation and keeps it going. Secondly, Christ has primacy over creation, the power and the authority to rule it. And thirdly, Christ's rule is total. Nothing escapes his grasp, nothing escapes his control. We saw these truths about Christ and we summarized them as Christ's ultimate reality, saying that Christ is more real than anything we think of as real. But is this all there is to Christ? Is this everything Paul wanted the Colossian believers to know? Paul's heart for them was that they would continue growing in faith, hope, and love 
And so it begs the question, is, is knowing Christ's ultimate reality all they needed to grow in faith, hope, and love? And we already know the answer to these questions is a resounding no, don't we? No, this isn't all there is to Christ. And if anyone wants to grow in faith, hope, and love, then no, it really isn't enough to know that Christ's reality is ultimate. Because knowing this, knowing this about Christ really tells us nothing about what kind of person Christ is. Knowing Christ is powerful does not tell us what he would do with that power. Last Sunday, we compared Christ's power over creation to our power over a video game. We saw that we have the technology to create entire worlds from our imaginations, filled with things to see and do and experience, and we can enter these created worlds with characters that we control, and we can build an entire life for these characters. And when we're finished playing, we can reach out and press a button and cause these worlds to end in a massive game over. At any point, we can turn it all off, but we would continue existing. We would go on living our lives because we are more real than the video game. Because we exist on a deeper level of reality, and Christ exists on an even deeper level of reality, the deepest level of reality. And he has the same power, brothers and sisters, to do with this world whatever he pleases. And this should scare us on some level. This should stop us dead in our tracks and grab hold of our attention. Imagine coming home from school or work and as soon as you enter the house, you encounter a lion. A lion bigger than any that you've ever seen at a zoo or even in a documentary. You don't know how it got there, but there it is, towering over you, 800 pounds of muscle, fangs, and claws, claws as long as steak knives. With one swipe of its paw, it could tear you to shreds. What would you do? And would you hang up your keys, as I typically do, and take off your jacket and maybe head into the kitchen for a snack? You know, maybe defrost some chicken for dinner while you're at it? Get started on whatever homework or project at home that you have been pushing off? You know, maybe, maybe even pull out your phone for a selfie? I mean, obviously not. It'd be the last one you ever took. Whatever plans you had for your afternoon, they're gone. Whatever was on your list of things to do, that list is toast. You have to deal with this reality sitting in front of you that could end your reality in an instant. The only thing that would be on your mind is the question, is this lion safe? Am I safe from this lion? Fans of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe will recognize this as the question on Lucy's mind when she heard from Mr. Beaver about Aslan, the great lion of Narnia. She asked Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replied with the only sensible assessment of any lion. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. Christ's ultimate reality isn't safe, brothers and sisters. As the creator of all reality, Christ has the power to end ours in an instant with a swipe of his paw, with a word of command. 
And this knowledge alone, if left alone, this knowledge alone inspires more fear than faith, more despair than hope, and more defensiveness than love. You see, brothers and sisters, Lucy's question was wrong. And if we bring the same question to Christ, we won't get the answer that we need to hear either. Lucy asked if Aslan was safe, and Mr. Beaver explained that safety had nothing to do with it. She needed to know Aslan's character. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. This is what we need to know about Christ, brothers and sisters. Is he good? What has he done? What is he doing? And what will he do with his power as the God of all reality? Safety is irrelevant. Is Christ good? This is the question that we need to ask. This is what we need to know. And it turns out that the Apostle Paul agreed. It turns out that Colossians 1, 15 through 17 was really just the first stanza of a longer poem. The second stanza is in verses 18 through 20. The first stanza was about Christ's power, but it's in the second stanza that Paul reminded his readers of what Christ has done and is doing and will do with that power. Let me read to you both stanzas of this poem, and I invite you to pay attention to their similarities and their differences. Beginning in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul began the second stanza of this poem with the declaration in verse 18 that Christ is the head of the body, the church. This is the first thing that he reminded us of in this second stanza. If the church was a human body, Christ would be the head, the part of the body that rules and directs every other part of the body. This applies now whether we are talking about the global church, all the believers who ever lived, or about the local church, PBCC, for example. Just as Christ is the God of all creation, so Christ is the head of all the church. He is its Lord and master, and he sustains the church, and he keeps it going. So what is Christ doing in the present with his power as the God of all creation? Well, he is ruling, guiding, and sustaining his church. People often say that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction, that unless we evangelize and disciple the next generation of believers, that Christianity will simply disappear. And there is some truth to this suggestion, because this is how we see with our eyes Christianity continuing through, not apart from, our obedience to Christ's great commission. But it is also true that Christ, the head of the church who sustains Christianity, he's the one who sustains Christianity just as he does all creation. Christ keeps the church going. 
Christ is the source of its life. It is Christ working in the church, in each member of each local congregation, strengthening each believer to obey his commands, empowering each believer to reach out to others in love. It is not that we can sustain the church by our own efforts and abilities. No, it is Christ who empowers us to build one another up like the many parts of the human body working together to live and grow as they are coordinated by the head. So Christ the head rules and guides and sustains the church. And as the head of the church, he also leads the church into its destiny The second thing Paul declared in the rest of verse 18. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is the beginning. This is a reference to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, where God, who existed before creation, brought creation into existence. But here the phrase applies not to the old creation of this heavens and earth, but to the new creation, the new heavens and earth that Christ will bring with him when he returns. Christ is the beginning of this new creation because he is the firstborn from the dead. Literally, chronologically, the first person to be resurrected to the new life to come. And don't that I said resurrected, not revived. There's a difference. Many people throughout human history have been revived from death only to die again. But resurrection implies living on a new level of reality, a level of reality that is more real than this one. When Christ rose from the dead, he did not merely return to his pre-crucifixion body, to the limitations of that body, no. When Christ rose from the dead, he resurrected in glory a glory that could bend this so-called reality around himself, that could open locked doors and pass through solid walls, appear and vanish at will, radiate blinding glory, and, of course, ascend to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Christ is the firstborn from the dead, the first person to resurrect from the dead and to enjoy the resurrection life promised to all God's people. In other words... He previews for us the glory that we too will receive when we are raised from the dead and enter the new creation. Christ previews our resurrection with his own, and when this preview becomes reality, Christ will lead us into it. So what will Christ do in the future with his power? Share his resurrection glory with us. So we follow him. We trust him, and we give him the primacy, the authority he deserves in the church as the one who is leading us into the new heavens and earth, the new creation, the eternal kingdom of God. The final truth Paul reminded his readers of was the reconciliation Christ achieved between God and all creation, including us, sinful humankind. Verses 19 to 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The language here strongly resembles the language of verse 16, the middle of the first stanza of Paul's poem, where Paul declared, For by Christ all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In this stanza of the poem, 
Paul pointed to Christ's authority over all reality as its creator and sustainer. Creation belongs to Christ, every part of it. But as we know from scripture and by experience, creation is fallen. Creation is broken. Creation is filled with sickness and disease, with destruction and decay, with violence and instability, with threats and with danger, with death in all of its forms. And creation has fallen because we, humankind, we fell. Creation has fallen because we are fallen, because in our foolishness, in our pride, we decided we could be our own gods instead of depending on God. Though he gave us everything and would have given us more had we only asked, we broke off our relationship with him. And we fell into sin and death and creation fell along with us. But we didn't fall out of Christ's reach. Though we fell as far as we could, Christ's reach went farther. Christ's love went deeper. His mercy stretched wider until he wrapped himself around the full measure of our sin, wrapping our humanity around himself, and he died for us in our place. He took the punishment that belonged to us, and he did this so that we could be reunited and reconciled with God. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Christ's divinity, the fullness of God within him, made him the greatest offering God could give to pay for our sins. Christ's infinite worth as God the Son, the ultimate reality that undergirds every other reality, that made his innocent death on the cross the perfect payment for our forgiveness to make us acceptable to God. And not only acceptable, not only forgiven, but beloved, welcomed, and adopted into his family to live in resurrection glory with God forever and ever and ever. And when we are reunited with God in glory, brothers and sisters, when we are brought into his level of reality and given resurrection bodies that can experience him in all his ultimate reality, then all creation will be restored as well. We broke it. We broke ourselves, but he bought it all with his blood. And because he did, God has reconciled and is reconciling and will reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So brothers and sisters of PBCC, we return to our original question about Christ. We know he is powerful, but what has he done with his power? How has he chosen to use his authority? How is he using it? And how will he use it? What kind of lion is Jesus? He may not be safe, but to quote Mr. Beaver once again, he's good. Christ is good, brothers and sisters. Christ is as good as his reality is ultimate. 
Christ is as good as his glory is infinite. Christ is as good to us as our sins are deep. As far as our brokenness goes, Christ's goodness goes even farther. It reaches even deeper and it soars even higher, stretching even wider and wider until it wraps all of us in the love that will last forever. And the love that can change the world and remake it as it always should have been. What has Christ done with his glory? He spent it for us. He poured it out for us. He released it for us. He traded it for human flesh for us. He surrendered his glory on the cross for us, revealed his glory in the empty tomb for us to live with him forever in his ultimate reality. And in the meantime, he uses his glory to sustain us and to lead us as the head of our body, the church. So brothers and sisters of PBCC, in view of his goodness, in view of his mercies, who would not put their faith in Christ? Considering Christ's power as the God of all creation and his commitment to the church, who would not depend on him to meet their needs? And who would not put their hope in Christ? Considering Christ's power over all reality, including death, who would not entrust their future to him? Who would not put their hope in his power to raise us from the dead as well? And who would not love as Christ did, considering all that Christ has done for us and will do for us? And who, who would not be filled with love for others in the present? who would not be freed from the anxieties of this life to pour themselves out in meeting the needs of others. You see, when we remember the glory of Christ and when we remember how he used that glory, we are moved to faith, hope, and love. Our faith grows as we depend on Christ's power and provision our hope grows as we look forward to Christ's promises and our love grows as we are freed to give to others as Christ gave and gives and will give to us. When we remember the glory and the goodness of Christ, it erodes our unbelief little by little and his impact becomes deeper and wider and longer as we grow in faith, hope, and love. But that is a big condition, isn't it? When we remember. When we consider. That's the problem, isn't it? In our brokenness, as imperfect people, we are so forgetful, aren't we? We are so forgetful. And even when we do remember, we, we don't always reflect on these memories very deeply. I'll be the first to admit this of myself. It's really hard to remember and think deeply about Christ's goodness and glory and to allow them to have their impact on my heart. And God knows how hard it is for us. He knows how short our memories are and how difficult they are to sustain. So in his grace, God has given us a powerful tool to help us remember the glory and the goodness of Christ. Music. If you haven't already guessed it by now, the verses that we've been studying, these stanzas, were almost assuredly more than just a poem. 
These verses, with their balance and with their structure, with the way they develop ideas and build line upon line and stanza upon stanza, this was a song, brothers and sisters, a hymn set to music, sung by believers. This was a song believers could tuck away in their minds and sing to themselves throughout the day and carry with them into their jobs and schools and routines. And as they sang and as they hummed this song to themselves, this song about the glory and the goodness of Christ, it it turned their eyes to that glory. It turned their eyes to that goodness and it softened their hearts to his impact. It deepened their faith and their hope and their love. This is the power of music, isn't it? It creates space for the spirit to remind us of the glory and goodness of Christ. With meter and with time, with rhythm and melody, music stretches out our thoughts, redirects our reflections, and it forces us to face the truths that we so often dismiss as stuff we already know. You can skim through a book. You can even skim the Bible. It's hard to skim a song, though. Music helps lower our defenses and slow us down, even the fast ones. (laughs) Music reunites our heads with our hearts. It it gives us the gift of time spent being formed in the truth. And this is why Paul gave the Colossian believers a song when they needed to grow in faith, hope, and love. A song full of truths about Christ. And I'm sure there were other songs they sang to help them remember other truths as well. And not only to help them remember truths, but also to help them confess their feelings to God, you know, to to release their burdens to him. The fact is that the people of God have always used music to express a variety of truths and a range of feelings to help them process all sorts of experiences. I mean, just look at the book of Psalms. There isn't an emotion that we feel as humans that isn't represented in its pages. Go there in any state you are and you'll find a friend. Now all this being said, of course we must admit that music isn't everything to the believer. There are other means of grace, other tools that God has given us and that the Spirit uses to help us see and know and follow Christ. Music isn't and shouldn't become the only focal point in the life of the believer, but it also shouldn't be relegated to those rituals we perform to get us ready for the real stuff, the seemingly more important parts of our service or church life. Our times of singing as a congregation should never be reduced to warm up for the sermon, so to speak. But on the contrary, once we leave the service, a good song can become a miniature sermon that we carry with us, that we can tuck away into our pockets and bring everywhere we go a tool that we can always have at the ready to form us in deeper faith, hope, and love. The song in Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is one of these good songs. Now, of course, we no longer know the melody to this song, unfortunately. Or fortunately, who knows what their tastes were like. But we do have other songs. We do have other songs filled with these truths and other truths as well that can be useful in helping us remember the glory and the goodness of Christ. And of course, while these other songs aren't scripture themselves like this one is, they do help us remember that scripture. But they're only as effective, brothers and sisters, as they are used. 
So I'd like to invite the team back up on stage to help us spend the rest of our time together in music. Not just to conclude this sermon, but to conclude this session of our series in Colossians. We've used instrumentals to help us meditate and pray over the truths that we've heard, and maybe at this point we're ready to start singing of the glory and goodness of Christ. I know in my own preparation throughout this past month, I've had to turn back to song as I've been getting knee deep and sometimes eyebrow deep in, in the word. Sometimes I need to come back to the surface with a song and remind myself that these truths are for me, that these things are real in my life, not just something to talk about on a Sunday morning, but something to live into with all of my being. And maybe you, brothers and sisters, are ready to do that with me. As Paul shared a song with the Colossians, I'd like to just humbly offer you some songs that helped me this month remember Christ's glory and goodness. And of course, if you know them, feel free to join. If you don't, feel free to learn. But either way, I think we should spend this next rest of our service in worship. singing to worship God, to spend time in his glory and looking at his goodness. I want to play the song for you that I learned in uh, my youth group days. I should probably unmute. (laughs) Some of you might recognize this song. Uh, If you do, feel free to join in in singing, or you can just sit and meditate on the truth of who God is. Sing, you came to us a man. You came to us a man, in very nature God, pierced for our iniquities as you hung upon the cross. But God exalted you to the highest place and gave to you the right to bear the name above all names. And at the name of Jesus we should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And when you come in glory for the world to sing, we will sing, hail to the King, hail to the Let's sing from the beginning again. You came to us a man. You came to us a man. In very nature, God. The pierce for our iniquities as you hung upon the cross. 
but God exalted you to the highest place and gave to you the right to bear the name above all names and at the name of Jesus we should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord and when you come in glory for the world to see we will sing hail to the King hail to the King We eagerly await the coming of the day when the glory of the risen King will shine upon the earth. Then rival thrones will fall before the Lord of all. Then tell supreme authority in the true and living God and at the name of Jesus we should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord and when you come in glory for the world to see we will sing hail to the King Brothers and sisters, you can go ahead and continue uh, in seated meditation, or you can rise for this next song. I think it's one that you may know. It's one we've sung together before. You might recognize uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 in that last song we sang. Here you might recognize John 1, 1 through 18. You were the word. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. 
Brothers and sisters, if you would like to receive prayer after service today, you can come right up to the front and we'll be ready to receive you. But receive now this benediction. As you leave from this place, may Christ truly be all around you, present and real to you, even in unseen moments in quiet places. And may he fill your heart with a new song, or a poem, or a verse, or even a single phrase that brings your hearts back to his glory and goodness again and again and again. May God be with you and bless you. Be well.